Hello. Hello. This is the Refigure podcast, the podcast about arts, tech, diversity and culture. I'm Reefa. And I'm Chris. How are you doing, Reefa? Hi, thank you. What are we going to talk about today? This week, uh, we went back to Tate Modern to check out the new enormous piece in the Turbine Hall by Carl Walker. I think it's called Fons Americanus or Fons Americanus or Monza. I don't know. No, it's called it's called Fons Americanus. We're also going to talk about Dolomite Is My Name, a film by Eddie Murphy that he mentions in Comedians Getting Coffee with Cars. <laughs> And we're going to talk about that. It's a true story and it stars Eddie Murphy. What did you think of the Cara Walker? Describe what it is first. Cara Walker has the new piece in the Turbine Hall at um, Tate Modern. They're always these great, big, iconic pieces. It's a big, prestigious, I suppose, gig for uh, an artist to get. Fons Americanus. I keep wanting to pronounce it Americanus because it's got the word anus at the end, but it's. I don't think that's what it's meant to be. Basically, this is a 13 metre tall fountain that's a kind of reaction to the Victoria Memorial in front of Buckingham Palace. It's a provocative, very moving sculpture about the dark side of the British Empire. So it's a kind of reaction to the pomp and ceremony around well, still this enormous revisionist history around the uh, empire. And so what Cara Walker's doing is she takes interconnected stories of Africa and America and Europe to react to a kind of more traditional view of empire. There's a load of imagery in there. There's sharks, there's people being brutalised, there's mock emperor figures or empress figures, a reaction to or taking the piss out of kind of a Victorian view of the British Empire. It's enormous and it's also a working fountain so the figure at the very top has fountain water coming out of the boobies and also out of a kind of slice in the throat which is really graphic and quite harsh and yet this piece of work is in the heart of a very establishment mainstream space in the Turbine Hall and one of the wonderful things about when we went was that there were a load of school kids having their lunch and they were sat around the edge of the fountain, just like you'd be sat around the edge of a fountain at Trafalgar Square or in front of Buckingham Palace, eating your lunch if you're a tourist. They were doing exactly the same thing. It kind of even more enhanced the effect of this really potent set of images being part of a big, very establishment space. I mean, I realised that the Tate Modern isn't quite the same establishment space, but it still is. There's a kind of poster on the wall nearby, sort of in the style of like a 19th century bill poster that explains a bit about it. And then there's another bit which is really moving, which is it like a kind of um, a clamshell half open or something? And then it's like the Venus de Milo. Yeah. And then there's there's a face looking up crying at the bottom. That's just really powerful. And it is really crying because it's also a bit of subtle fountain work. What did it bring out in you, Reefer? Well, there are three things I wanted to say. One was, obviously, the Tate is Tate and Lyle. Tate was the sugar empire. So the fact that this piece of work, which is so powerful, because, I mean, I'm not usually moved by sculpture in this way, but the way that it's 
I don't even know what she used, you know. The way that the face of the young boy is looking up at you because he's sort of buried, you know. People, to this day, we are, black people are dehumanised. They're vilified in the press, in the media. People are scared. People cross over the road. People are worried about what they're doing in shops. And because I went to see this when just this week alone a various amount of different things I'd seen on social media and people talking about how they're treated as second-class citizens in this country and things that are happening in America. It's so powerful because it wasn't that long ago and they had to put a bloke who works at the Tate in front of this fountain to stop people climbing on it the boy's face in the smaller shell-like sculpture, his face is the same as your, yours. It's the size of a person. So instead of lions sort of showing the strength of the empire like you get in Trafalgar Square, you've got sharks. It's extraordinary if people even got on the slave ships and survived to go to America or the West Indies or wherever they were taken in the end. So, yeah, I think it was really powerful and... I would suggest go and see it and I I noticed that the Tate when they tweeted about it today because it's not been open that long they didn't mention anything about what it is about you see and um, people get a bit complacent about slavery and what that means and they just think it's something that happened sometime you know in the past and it's not having an effect on generations so that's why it's important. Carol Walker's best known for... Do you know those black cut paper silhouette figures? She's done loads of those. They're amazing. Basically referencing that same history, the history of uh, enslavement of people, and uh, especially in the American South. She has a fearlessness in it. It was really powerful to look at that face crying and then to turn away from that and move on to the big fountain and be see some of the sort of bits in the fountain. Well, I don't know. It's not my complete lived experience, but just today I read about Nestle saying that they can't guarantee that they're not using slavery for their chocolate production in West Africa. Even now? Even now. I think it was the most powerful for me turbine hall piece I've seen in years. It's the fifth of the Hyundai Commission, so they're doing 10 years of commissions funded by or sponsored by Hyundai, and this is the fifth one. And the others include things like uh, Superflex from 2017, which we definitely went and saw, and Philippe Pereno in 2016. This one, usually with the turbine hall, there's a kind of bombast, isn't there? There's a kind of, oh, whoa, that's an amazing thing to look at. There is always a little bit of a distancing, isn't there? Like, there is a kind of othering about saying, oh, those poor refugees over there, you know. Exactly, yeah. You got hit in the face by this. You can get right up close. And I think she did that deliberately. You know, it's like you can get right up close. The smaller one, you can get right up close to it. What do people do? Do they do they stand back and look at it like any of the other pieces in the tape? No, well, they get in there, don't they? One of the reasons you go in close is because you catch a glimpse of maybe what seems like crying. And then you have to go in close and see that the figure is crying. I mean, you might be right that she has designed the piece so that people go a bit too close and then realise they shouldn't touch it, which is brilliant, if so. But anyway... Nice. It is absolutely amazing, isn't it? I think you should all go. So the Carl Walker is free because it's in the Turbine Hall 
absolutely we both think it's really worth seeing and it is going to be there right through till April next year it closes on the 5th of April let's talk about Dolomite is my name yeah so I'll try and explain this film Dolomite is my name is a new movie on Netflix it stars Eddie Murphy and he's playing a real life legend called Rudy Ray Moore who was like this rap pioneer who existed before rap in the early 70s as a comedian a live performing comedian but his comedy was proto-rap so it was mainly kind of quick fire rhythmic responses and rude gags and they had a kind of real biting rhythm to it and he came up with this character and he stuck with this character and became really successful and then he went on to make a film with borrowed money in a borrowed house this film was sort of hotchpotch bodged together but then became this weird massive success which is Dolomite and then that is one of the sort of pioneering movies of the black exploitation era so Eddie Murphy has got this great cast together to make this biopic I just flag up that it's got Wesley Snipes in it Oh, that's who it was. I couldn't work it out who the real actor in it was. It oh, was yeah, Wesley yeah. Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes is in it. Also, Craig Robinson, who is that awesome actor who plays... Everybody's screaming at their radios. Well, I'll edit it so that I so won't look that like they know. Here we go. Oh, he's in Pineapple Express as well. Anyway, I didn't know I that. haven't watched that. So, also, Craig Robinson, who's awesome, he's the guy that plays Doug Judy in uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is the, you know, the Pontiac Bandit? He's awesome. And then Titus Burgess is in it as well, who plays, what's his name, Titus Andromedon in Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah, he's in it. There's also the homeless person that he gets the idea from to do the rapping and the tall stories, who's a Vietnam vet in it. He's an amazing actor. I forget his name too. Is that Keegan Michael Key, or is he someone so. else in it? I think so. So I'll, I'm going to admit it. I wasn't sure if I was going to admit it, but I watched the entire film with no idea it was a biopic. I'd never heard of Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore, so I didn't know any of this backstory, which just shows me up for the ignorant person I am, because I think of myself as very culturally engaged and know loads of stuff, and of course. When it comes to black cultural history, I know fucking nothing. So it's a huge story. I didn't know anything about it. Was watching this comedy, loving the jokes, finding it a bit misogynist, but that's because it's a biopic and that world was very misogynist. It's not just that it's Eddie Murphy being a misogynist at all, which was what I was taking it as. The actual film is made with loads of directorial nods to the style of the Dolomite film and early black exploitation. So of course it's doing things that to my eyes are a little bit iffy like oh here's a a panning shot that focuses on a woman's ass when we've not actually had any women characters at this point so I was jutting up against this stuff but still finding it really enjoyable and funny and I swear I did not know it was a biopic until they did that bit in the credits that they always do where they show you the real people and that's and Reef was so aghast that I hadn't clocked it was a biopic. But it's not like I knew that at all. I only knew it because we watched that Jerry Seinfeld episode where he's in the car getting coffee with Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy mentions that he's making this pick about Dolomite. So Eddie Murphy was in the news recently because he said that you know he regrets some of the stuff he said in um, Delirious and some of his other early works, you know, because. 
at the time, that was the kind of thing that he could get away with and that was his shtick, was to, to talk about women and trans people and gay people and all sorts of people in a really derogatory way. So he regrets that now. And um, this film, you could almost see him having to rein himself in not to be so cheesy with it and not to play these characters and yet um, they managed to keep the authenticity of this really quite sweet guy who had this persona of, of this kind of pimp character, which if you've ever watched the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you'll see Gene Wilder is basically playing Willy Wonka as Dolomite with a cane, with a pimp hat and these crazy um, suits. And uh, yeah, that's a direct reference, I'm sure. Um, and he was a really sweet bloke who um, people wanted to help him and people wanted to see him be a success. And it starts off with him in a record store and Snoop Dogg's in it as a DJ right at the beginning. And you just you just see, you know, this is a really hopeful film about some friends that get together and triumph over adversity and I won't spoil it for you. He helps all the people along the way. It's a real feel-good movie, and I really enjoyed it for that. And it's always a fucking bonus, isn't it? If it's a true story, true story. Also, when there are those sort of touching, serious moments, of which there are a fair few in this film, and it does have an actual kind of arc of emotional of plot, all that, all of that stuff, even though there's some really broad comedy in it, he's really good, isn't he? I would say that he he's all right in it. He's not a great actor. He's acting his socks off. And you could sort of tell that in the film as well, that <laughs> that he's like, wants this to be successful. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's a great actor. I don't know. But um, it was a really evocative piece, I think. Well, anyway, all I'm saying is... <laughs> all you're saying is... What a nice movie. Yeah, it's lovely. It's really fun. Shall we? <clears throat> Shall we? Is it time? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? <laughs> what are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? You go first. Okay, well, I am still reading Richard Power's novel, The Overstory, that I talked about last week. I haven't made it through that yet. It is brilliant. An extraordinary novel, but I won't bang on about that. I was just going to mention, um, I've been buying the odd, mostly ordering online, the odd poetry magazine because I've been trying to write poems and so I wanted to get a bit familiar with the poetry world which hasn't worked really because it's so splodgy and all over the place and I can't afford to buy a hundred different small magazines but anyway I bought a few and the one I'm reading at the moment which is in our loo is Under the Radar issue 24 so Under the Radar is published by Nine Arches Press and it's a collection of poetry but also it's got short fiction and reviews and it's a mixed bag some of it's not that strong, some of it's, even editorially, some of it's not that strong. Um, I was a bit taken aback by the Dear Reader editorial at the very beginning, because it's not well written. But then, of course, in there, there are some really wonderful poems. And this is what I think I'm learning about the poetry world, is I was trying to get a hook on what's good and what's bad, and maybe it's just totally subjective. But I tend to notice that in a thing like this, this one edition of Under the Radar, there are three or four poems that I think are absolutely brilliant. And there are some other poems that I think are so rubbish that I don't understand why they've managed to get published. And I, I'm, I'm not yet experienced enough in the poetry world to know why that is. So I've just got lots of learning still to do. It's not very expensive, so it's definitely worth getting. I think they're funded by the Arts Council, but it's, uh, it's called Under the Radar, 
They're on issue 24. They've just had a rebrand, and uh, you can get it from Nine Arches Press. What are you reading, dear Reefer? I'm reading a classic uh, business book. I'm, it's called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. It's oh, yeah. by Richard Rumlett. And it was published... <laughs> like, I'm laughing. Can you say his name again? I really like how you said it. Richard Rumlett. Rumlett. Yeah, well, you might as well have... If you're going to have R in your name, you might as well roll it, isn't yeah. it? Um, anyway, so this, yes, Richard Rumlett, published back in 2011, and lots of people jumped on it for exactly the reason he wrote the book, right? <laughs> so he has been fed up with people using the word itself, strategy, to mean tactics, to mean uh, just any old ideas or... You know, it's a good book when the first couple of pages you've already underlined or written down notes from the book and he's only just started. Yeah. Basically saying the problem is people think they've got a strategy and it's a a vision or it's a feeling of ideas of what, what they want to do. And then they get disillusioned because they haven't thought about the practical applications. So me, I'm kind of the other way around. I kind of know it within myself and just crack on with ideas and do the stuff that needs to be done without really having to write it down. Like I haven't got a manifesto for or a criteria for the speakers that I choose. I just come up with a theme. It's so embedded in me that I have it. But the problem with that is, and this happens a lot with smaller companies, especially tech companies, they have that vision, they know what they want, and then it's when they get bigger and bigger, they don't really, can't really articulate it. So that's what this is supposed to help with. Anyway, um, it was Matt Adams from Blast Theory that said, you've got to read this book. And the thing is, I really sometimes have to push through some of these kinds of books. They start off talking about Napoleonic Wars, for example. (laughs) So I'm like, great, this book isn't written for me. But that's okay. And um, now I can read these sorts of books without feeling like stupid because I know that he's just using analogies or he's speaking to who he perceives to be his peers. So he's going to say something that's of interest to him as a white bloke about some ships. And the strategy was not to attack in a certain way, but to attack in another way. Yeah. Great. And also like, oh, here we go, some war analogies. And and perhaps, I'm not saying this is true, but perhaps someone else will say, you know, that their strategy, they'll use a different analogy, you know. Yeah. It's still worth a read. It's a good one to have on your shelf as a reference. And also, you will recognise other business leaders who chuck in his quotes in um, presentations and talks and stuff. So you'll start to recognise that name. Because it's like, not the traditional text, it's because it's from 2011. It's worth having on your in your repertoire. Good strategy, bad strategy. It's got a black and white cover. Richard Rumlet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually us done. That's really good. The end. So we're back on track now. Really want to plug a couple of things our friends have done. Look out for the album by the wonderful band Hertzling. The album is called Future From Here. Spell H-U-R-T-L-I-N-G. You can find it wherever you get music. They are a brilliant, noisy indie trio. Uh, they have a little bit of shoegazy stuff about them, but they also have some chunky old riffs, and they're brilliant. Great. Thank you very much for listening. Please like and subscribe. We've got quite a lot of reviews now. Yeah, it's good. It's really picking up. We're... Now you have to do the social media. You can find us on Instagram at... <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at 
Refigure UK. You can also find us on Facebook at refigurepod, facebook.com slash refigurepod, or find us on Twitter at refigurepod. Come and say hello, it'd be lovely to hear from you. Comments all welcome, criticism, slag off the music if you like. We'll talk to you again next week. It's been lovely to hang out. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah.